Hi, I'm Walt Thiessen from the LOA Today podcast. If you've been listening to LOA Today for any length of time, you know that mindset plays a huge role in what we talk about with our guests each day. You know that mindset is something we all need to work on every day. After all, as researchers have discovered, the average human thinks a negative thought 80% of the time during his or her day every day. I've been thinking about that fact recently, asking myself, what can I do to help more people like you to reset your brains the way you want them reset? And I came up with an idea for an experiment, and I want to invite you to participate. I'm calling it the Brain Retrainers Club, and I've scheduled a Zoom meeting for Wednesday, October 19th at 8 p.m. New York time, and you're invited. It's free. To register, just visit loatoday.net forward slash brain. That's B-R-A-I-N, loatoday.net forward slash brain. See you there. Today, I'm Walt Thiessen. With me today is the woman who knows how to set personal boundaries, Alex Standy. This is your Daily Dose of Happy. We are so happy you decided to join us today. We're especially happy whenever we see Alex's smiling face and purple background and uh, all of the, the sparkles and so forth, because then we know it's Thursday. And Thursday's Thursday. <laughs> how are you doing, Alex? Good to see you. I'm all right. Hanging in there. Good. That's a good thing. We also have a special guest joining us today. Her name is Cheryl Iloff. I, I, I pr- hope I pronounced your name right, Cheryl, because I didn't ask you before we got going. <laughs> but You did. You I did. did. Okay, good. good. Good to know. But uh, Cheryl has an interesting uh, little uh, motto that she associates with herself. She says, look like a woman, act like a lady, move like a ninja, and think like a warrior. That's going to be a good starting point for a conversation right there. I think that's probably where we will start. But Cheryl, welcome to the program. How are you doing today? Thank you for having me, first of all, and I am doing fabulously well. Ooh, we like that, fabulously well. That's really yes. good. And it's an honor to be here. Thank you for having me. Glad to have you. So so tell it, all right, I, I, I gave you a little tagline. Where did that come from? That, that's kind of cool. Well, that came, um, that came at about 3 o'clock in the morning several uh-huh. years ago when I woke up sweating in the middle of the night, which happens to women my age. But that's when I think with those little nighttime moments come incredible moments of creativity and clarity. And I was trying to come up with something that was catchy. I was starting to teach some self-defense classes for women only and then women and girls. And I wanted to come up with something that was really catchy. But, you know, everything just sounded so, uh, you know, just not interesting at all. And then I woke up that one night at 3 o'clock in the morning and went, this is it. So I just shot out of bed, ran, wrote it down. And the next morning I just started using it and promoting it. So, yeah. Because it is possible to look like a woman, act like a lady, move like a ninja, and think like a warrior. And it totally fits your background because not only are you an author and speaker and apparently a physical therapist, but you're also a martial artist and you're a dancer. Mm -hmm. And and you also were a patient with chronic pain, which we're going to get into as well. Mm -hmm. And you're the author of a book, two books actually. Mm -hmm. Tell us what the books are. Okay, so the first book I wrote is, the title is Forever Fit and Flexible, Feeling Fabulous at 50 and Beyond. And the motivation for me to write the book was, you know, uh, because I was a former chronic pain patient for two and a half years when I was in my mid-30s, I was told I would never be able to have the life that I had before, Mm -hmm. the life that I wanted. I was told I would never be able to do my laundry and my grocery shopping all in the same day because the arthritis, I know, the arthritis in my spine was so severe, according to the experts, that I would be bedridden. And then I was recommended to start applying for disability because I was going to need it. And I was 36 years old. Wow. Wow. Yeah. That's, that's harsh to hear at any age. But then, you know, especially, and I, I just looked at this person, this doctor who told me that. And because it wasn't like 
digesting like it was another language. I really didn't understand. I was confused. Yeah. yeah. I mean, what? how do you wrap your head around that? You can't. Not Certainly not the first go. That's, that's something that would take weeks to overcome. Well, and that could be the point, too. If I kept hearing it over and over again, my brain would have accepted it. And, I mean, I had been hearing it for two and a half years, chronic pain, chronic pain. You're a chronic pain patient. And I looked at this doctor and I said, you don't understand. I'm planning on going back to ballet class. <laughs> I love it. I and love it. She laughed in my face and she said, oh, no, you don't understand. You are a chronic pain patient. You will always be a chronic pain patient. But don't worry about it. That's when she gave me the spiel. And then she says, but we'll take care of you. And I'm like, okay, I have to step back here and think about this because it wasn't working out so well. You know, for two and a half years, I did everything I was told to do by the doctors, the physical therapists. I went to all my massage therapy um, sessions. I took the medications. I did the, and I can say this now because I am a PT, I did all the stupid stretches and exercises that the physical <laughs> therapists gave me. But instead of getting better, I was getting worse. Mm. And after she told me that, I mean, I was absolutely just I, I was devastated, and I went home, and I hit rock bottom. But a few days later, I had one of those mental head-smacking moments that just come at you, you know, like a two-by-four mm-hmm. out of nowhere. And it was like, wait a minute. This is up to you to figure out. It's on you. It's not on them. Obviously, what's what we're doing now is not working. So I had to completely come up with a different strategy, which was really hard for me because I was a Western medicine trained person. I was a respiratory therapist for my first career. So, you know, that's the things you do, what everybody tells you, you take the meds, blah, blah, blah. So it was like, okay, I just went out on a limb. I fired my entire medical team, much to their distress because I needed them. And that's what they told me. I needed them to take care of me. I stopped taking the medications. I stopped doing the stupid stretches and exercises, which were a waste of my time. And I taught myself how to move again. I went back to how we started, how we learned to move when we were children. Hmm. When we were babies in the crib, nobody came up to us and gave us these little baby barbells. And said, okay, you know, do 10 of these bicep curls. Okay. Now put one hand here, one hand here and, mm-hmm. you know, press and roll over. And that's how you roll over in your crib. We learned by expl- exploration. Right. And that's how we learned to move when we were babies and children all the way up until we started school and we were told to sit down and shut up because now you had to learn. Where prior to that time in, in our lives, we learned through movement and exploring our environment and just through play. So that part of us kind of gets sucked out of us as we start going through school. And especially, okay, now we have organized sports, we have dance or gymnastics, swimming, whatever. We have coaches who are telling us what to do, the right way to move, the wrong way to move, what's good, what's bad. So we listen to them, and all of a sudden that creativity and that playfulness um, and that self-exploration just goes away. Mm. So mm-hmm. somehow, I don't know how I figured that out, but I knew that that's what I had to do. And the only thing I did add to my whole little routine or program was acupuncture. Wow. And mm-hmm. it was a lot of work. It took about eight or nine months, but at the end of eight or nine months, I was completely pain-free. Wow. Congratulations, first of all. That's fabulous. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, Alex, does, does any of that medical story sound familiar? <laughs> No, I have never tried acupuncture. I'm going to I haven't tried. <laughs> but yeah, I can really, yes, definitely. <laughs> uh, Alex has been through her own medical adventure. That's why I was asking her that. Mm-hmm. Oh, A lot cool. of us have, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. But that to me have had the kinds of adventures you guys have had. I mean, that, that was pretty severe stuff. And Alex went through some pretty severe stuff, too. To be perfectly honest, that's that's severe. That's um, yeah. That, that's the kind of thing that you don't wish on anybody if you have any yeah. kind of a heart. But by the way, I want to make a comment. The, the the medical staff we fired, who said that you need us, I think they got the pronouns turned around. What they really meant was, we need you. There. You're you're a, you're a chronic <laughs> ATM for us. <laughs> <laughs> 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, and absolutely. And I really believe sometimes, you know, and I don't want to diss on the medical community, although I've been on the receiving end too many times that it's been really bad. And I'm thinking, man, I am a medically educated person. You know, I, I understand how things work. And if I can be so mistreated and misguided through my journeys, I can't imagine what people who don't have that knowledge of how the system works. So I basically had to turn my back on the system that I was trained in, you know, for so long. And I'll never forget. And Alex, you really should try acupuncture unless you're afraid of needles. The needles are yeah. so <laughs> tiny. Oh, well, it's, it's really, it's the bomb. It works so well. Um, but the first time I went for my first acupuncture appointment, oh my gosh. Well, number one, I was so nervous. And it was on uh, the the office, the clinic I was going to go to was off of this big, big main street, which had so much traffic. Mm. And I went right after I got off of my shift. So I was still wearing bright green scrubs, Mm. which clearly identified me as a respiratory therapist Mm -hmm. at that hospital that was just right down the road. So I thought, oh, my goodness, everybody else who's going home after their shift, they're going to see me. I wanted to like find a trench coat and a hat and you know glasses with a fake mustache so I could yeah. be done, you know, uh, in disguise. I didn't want anybody to see me because I was just so embarrassed that I was so desperate. I was trying something so woo woo and so mm-hmm. weird. Mm-hmm. And that just launched me on a whole new level of healing. Wow. That's really something. And it, and it's also impressive. We, we've had a lot of medical personnel on the show this year. I don't know why this year in particular. Um, but for whatever reason, we've had quite a few doctors and um, alternative doctors and mm-hmm. uh, nurses and just a, a bunch of people on. And the the theme that comes through over and over again is they're all people who have in some way modified their relationship to the, what I call the, the core mainstream medical community mm-hmm. um, because they found that their, the training that they had been given really wasn't helping their patients or that they were dissatisfied with the way certain things were being done or, you know, there, there, there's like a litany of, of possible mm-hmm. complaints, but they all decided to take action and open up private practices where insurance wouldn't have anything to do with it. Uh, and, and we're glad that they were doing it. So mm-hmm. to hear you tell your story doesn't really surprise me at all, but I can certainly imagine from your perspective, like you said, just how mortifying that would be because the, the training you get is this is the way everything works. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and and all of the other alternative things. And back then, I mean, that was 30 years ago when this happened to me. And back then we didn't have as many alternative modalities available mm-hmm. to us. They weren't mainstream and people didn't know about them. And even once I went into, after I recovered, and it was a goal of mine all along to go to physical therapy school just as a second career because I just needed a change. And why I picked that, I thought it was going to be a perfect fit, right? You know, yeah. as a dancer, I had a background in Pilates, and now here I am. You know, I had the experience of chronic pain, and I was able to heal myself. I knew I loved working with people and working with patients because of my respiratory background. So I get into PT school, which is not easy to do. Really? It's very competitive. Hmm. And then two years of absolutely gut-wrenching hell to get through the program. Wow. And then you get out, and I found out that I really didn't like what I was doing. Oh, my. I hated it. Wow. It It was awful. And I thought, okay, I had to sit down and have a talk with myself and say, self, what made you think that this would be the right thing to do when it really didn't help you that much when you were going through it? You didn't you know, benefit that much as a patient. Mm. But I figured I understood a lot of things, so I'd be very effective. And the way the system is set up, you really can't be effective because you're not the one that's really working with the patients. The aides and the uh, PT assistants are. You're the one doing all the paperwork and all the really fun administrative stuff. You know, it's like, you know, oh, why did I do this? So it actually hit me another one of those, you know, I keep getting like those mental head smacking moments or the two by four across the head that I was sitting in this horribly boring meeting, just wanting to, you know, oh, uh, what have I done to my life? And then all of a sudden it hit me. It was like, wait a minute. That was about you know, late 90s, let's say 99. And there were Pilates was starting to make, you know, a big debut. Mm-hmm. I had been studying Pilates for myself since 1983 
And so I'd gone through a whole lot of Pilates. Once I graduated PT school, I went through two different professional Pilates trainings. And I'm like, what am I doing to myself? I can go out on my own because there are some people who really didn't have great backgrounds who are opening Pilates studios. And it was like, I can open up my own clinic specializing in Pilates-based rehab and conditioning. And boom, that's what I did in 1999. And I ran my own business just like no, no insurance, cash only. Um, I added something called Feldenkrais to my practice as I went through that training. And I did that for 18 years, and I closed my physical office in May of 2017. Wow. Wow. So it sounds like it was quite uh, successful, and sounds like it was probably fulfilling for you to stay that long. Incredibly fulfilling because I had no staff. I had no boss. Well, I had a boss, but I really like her. <laughs> um, you know, uh, we would argue every now and again, are you sure this is the right thing to do? So we would have meaningful conversations. But it was so rewarding because a lot of the clients, I did not get patients. I don't have patients. I had clients. Okay. And when they would come to me, a lot of the clients that walked through my door were like where I was. They had had mm. the same experiences. Yeah. Um, they were told either, this is it. You're never going to get any better. Just, you know, deal with it and learn how to, we'll manage it is what, that was what I was told, we'll manage the pain. Mm -hmm. And a lot of these people were like, no, there's more that I want. Or they'd gone through to traditional physical therapy, and once the insurance said, you know, you're done, they hadn't achieved the level of function or recovery that they wanted. So, But there they were lost, looking for, what am I going to do now? Where do I mm -hmm. go? And I had a couple of chiropractors find me, and so they would refer a lot of their patients to nice. me. And I, I would always tell them, I am not going to fix you but I will teach you how to fix yourself. Which is great. Right. That's really the best way. Mm -hmm. and, and, and so much diametrically opposite from what you received. I mean, the reason I, I, I just wanted to give you a, a little heads up on, on why I asked that question earlier the way I did. You know, well, isn't it the other way around that, you know, basically you were their ATM. The, the reason I said that is because they did something that a lot of medical professionals do these days and have done for quite some time that I've become more and more of, uh, object, objecting to in light of what I now know about how the human mind works in medicine and how the placebo effect works and the nocebo effect especially. That's the part I'm about to touch on. Nocebo is, it hasn't been dramatically um, investigated by the research community in the medical community, but it has been researched. It has been shown to be a real thing. And yet doctors and other medical professionals routinely scare the crap out of patients, mm -hmm. knowing full well that the research says don't do that. that that's why I reacted the way I did when, when you said mm -hmm. that. that. That's a pet peeve of mine. Well, I want to tell you an interesting, an interesting story about a lady that I worked with, and she, a chiropractor had referred me to her, or her to me, and, you know, horrible neck pain. She had been in a car accident, and he had worked with her and said, okay, it's time for some strengthening. Try this lady. So I worked with her for a couple of weeks, and she did incredibly well. I mean, mm -hmm. and it was like, you know, you're done. I don't need to see you anymore. You can call me um, if something crops up, blah, blah, but go on and enjoy your life. She was going back to work full time. She was um, enjoying all of her activities like she had before her accident. It was beautiful. I mean, you'd have stories like that, right? Yeah, right, right. So about a month later, she came back and she came walking into my office and I looked at her and I said, oh my God, what happened? Did you have another accident? And she was like, Ugh, and you could see she, she was in so much pain and she was mm. guarding. It was just horrible. She looked worse than she did when I saw her the first time. Wow. And I said, what happened? And she told me she had gone back to the chiropractor who wanted to review her x-rays with her. And as he was reviewing her x-rays, he pointed something out on the cervical spine and said, see here, see this right here? This could be, it looks like you have permanent damage. Oh, my. And when she said the words permanent damage to me, I saw those words, like right in front of me, in bright red, like a neon sign. Yeah. And it was just like hanging over her. And I said, well, let's talk about this. And she says, you don't understand. It looked really bad. And I says, have you ever looked at a, ch at a cervical x-ray before? And she said, no. <laughs> I says, well, then how do you know it was bad? <laughs> and she says, 
because he said so. Because he said so, yeah. <laughs> and yeah. I said, but how were you feeling when you walked into his office that day? Well, I felt great, but that's before I knew I had permanent damage. Yeah. So the power of words mm. and, and putting labels on people is so dangerous. It's so powerful mm. and it could destroy a, a, a person's life. And you really yeah. have to be careful how you talk to people. Yeah. I, I love that story. Thank you for sharing that one because it really illustrates the point I was talking about beautifully. So well done. <laughs> that was a great story. <laughs> Thank you. I have a million of them. Uh, apparently you do. Well, you also have a podcast too. You're a podcaster. I do. Yeah. yeah. Called uh, that... the, the, the Femininja. Project. Yeah. I like that, that was kind of crazy how that happened. How'd that happen? <laughs> well, I follow a lady. Yeah, I live here in Denver, uh, Colorado, and she's a local talk show host. She has a daily um, radio show. And I really like her because she's funny. She's sarcastic. And I would always try and listen to her show because she was just so funny. And I thought, one of these days, I would love to be able to meet her in person. Wouldn't that be awesome to meet somebody like that that you've been following and you just love and you crack up when she makes jokes and stuff? So... I was listening to her one day and she said, you know, that, hey, guess what? I'm starting this new business on the side, blah, blah, blah. It's going to be a platform that has all female podcasters. And why don't you sign up for our newsletter? And I'm going, I think I'll do that. I even remember the date. Wow. I don't, it was like June 16th, something like that. No, June 8th, 2018. So I ran downstairs to the girl cave. This is my girl cave. Welcome to it. And I got on my computer and I signed up for the newsletter and I got an automated response. Boom, right away. Hey, why don't you enter our contest? We're looking for the next female, great female podcaster. And I'm looking at that going, huh. I don't know what a podcast is. (laughs) That's the best part right there. Right there. That's cool. (laughs) I don't know why I would ever possibly want one. (laughs) people have told me to look into it because they think I might be good at it. If I enter this contest, I might be able to learn something about podcasting. So then years down the road, if I ever decide to do something like that, I'll have some skills. Mm -hmm. And last, but the most important point was maybe I'll get to meet her someday Uh, in person. mm -hmm. Well, I entered the contest It was eight weeks of the most incredibly, unbelievable, horrible stress and anxiety. Mm -hmm. I'm a baby boomer. I'm not good at technology. I really Mm -hmm. had nobody to ask. She didn't coach us as much as I thought that she would. It's like, good luck. You know, if you don't know what you're doing, ask a teenager. And I'm like, hey, my closest teenager is 1,500 miles away. Wow. So anyway, I did not win the contest. I did um, get invited to join the platform, basically, because me and three other women had the wherewithal to go through the entire contest. We mm-hmm. did lose a few along the way. So I was on her platform, um, yeah, for about nine months and decided, okay, it's time to go out on my own. Ah, very good. Good for you. Cool story. Like so, that. That's that was a, a long time story. ago. That, that's a self-empowerment story. It's a self-empowerment story, and I'm all about self-empowerment mm-hmm. because so many times, and Alex, you might be able to identify or, or relate to this. There have been so many times when my power has been taken away from me one way or another, sometimes in very subtle ways, sometimes not so subtle. And even there's been times when I actually have just given my power away to somebody else. And once you realize that that's happening... And once you learn how you can take your power back and step up to it, magic happens. Mm-hmm. And so that's why the, the, the podcast basically is about personal empowerment and overcoming obstacles, uh, finding your voice, standing your ground, and my personal favorite, restoring human dignity one person at a time. Very nice. Does that actually sound, does that ring a bell for you, Alex? A little, yes. Does it? Okay. <laughs> Just a little. Just a little. I don't think I've ever given away my power, but I've definitely been had that feeling before. Yeah, Mm -hmm. because you're always such a personal boundary person. Yeah. I I introduced her that way on the intro. It really is true. Her boundaries are incredibly strong. Yeah. Really, really strong. Good for you. Yeah. And, you know, most of us don't have good boundaries. 
I think especially as women. And right. it takes a while to be able to step up and say, you know what, I'm not going to do this anymore. But having good boundaries to me means being flexible, but still having that line in the sand that mm-hmm. people don't cross. So when you when you were um, going through, you, Alex has been through a number of, of really crazy stuff where physical medical kind of stuff is concerned. Um, and Alex, when you were going through your first stuff, I think it started in like high school. Were were, were your boundaries that strong at that point? I I couldn't remember that part of the story. Um, I think they were, but they could have been stronger. Wow. Oh, okay. All right. Which fits your personality. I mean, when, Cheryl, once you get to know Alex, literally, the the hardest thing with Alex is getting Alex to actually say long, long paragraphs of stuff because she's <laughs> so concise about what she says, and she's so concise because that's all that needs to be said. I mean, talk about a personal boundary right there. That's all I've just said. All that needs to be said. Why should I go on? That's really that's your philosophy. Am I wrong? Period. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, the ultimate in personal boundaries going on right there. <laughs> oh, that's great. <laughs> so that's what I was curious. I, I wasn't really sure where it all started to kick in for you, but okay. It sounded like it already kicked in pretty good at that point. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think I get it from my mom, though, just not knowing what not to put up with and what to put up with. And also from dealing with my dad. I just, I'm like, no, oh, I'm not yeah. going to deal with it at home. I'm sure you're not going to deal with it from the kid down the street. Mm-hmm. True, very true. So yeah, yeah. Yeah, you have that yeah. history there. Yeah, that mm-hmm. makes a lot of sense. So, all right, well, Cheryl, let's get back to your story. Um, so you started the Feminine Project and you decided to go off on your own. How long have you been doing it now? Well, oh gosh, that was probably August of 2019 was when I went out on my own. Oh, okay. So it has been a while, and then of course, again, baby boomer. Um, the way I was doing my interviews. I would have people come over to my house and we would just record an episode right down here in the girl cave. There've been a couple of times where I actually would travel. I'd take my computer and I'd go to the person's uh, Mm -hmm. office or or home or whatever. And so then I was getting pretty good at it. I was getting very comfortable and it was like, okay, I finally figured out all this technology. I can breathe now. (laughs) And then, you know, 2020 comes along Mm -hmm. and it's like, Oh God, at this point, as you have told me already, how addictive um, podcasting is, mm-hmm. and yes, it is. And it was like, oh, my goodness, I cannot stop, and I can't have people come to my house, mm-hmm. so I have to learn more technology. <laughs> so at that same time, I was down here in my girl cave trying to figure things out, and you're just getting so frustrated. And my husband is retired now, but at that point he was still working in medical sales. And his product line was respiratory therapy products and wow. anesthesia equipment. So you can imagine what his yeah, life was like. His life was hell. Yeah. It totally was hell. And he couldn't go to his contacts or go to his, um, you know, customers. And, and it, so they're troubleshooting over the phone. When you're talking about life support equipment, that's really not a great way of doing it. Not but really, he could no. not physically be there. And then he's trying to fulfill their orders and stuff. And, his, of course, they were going through respiratory equipment. So, anyway, he's, like, directly above me in his office. And, oh, the, the I mean, the air was just thick with dirty words and mm. blue words flying around as we were trying to figure this, our, you know, way around this new technology. But finally, you know, I'm very fortunate. I have an incredible, I like to call it incomparable stubborn streak. Ooh, that, that could actually be good. It's, that could it's, actually be very good. It served me well. So yeah. I was just too stubborn to give up. It's like, I'm not going to give up at this point. I've come this far. So that's basically my MO. And um, now I have recorded 217 episodes. Wow. I think, um, but I am so far, I'm working so far in advance because I do pre-record. Mm-hmm. And I have so many people wanting to be on the show and I don't want to turn them down if they're, you yeah. oh man, this is going to be a great guest. So yeah, I've got um, a lot backed up. Which so is that's good. actually that's a form of personal boundary right there. I do the same thing. I have to be very selective about who I invite onto the show because there are so many people who want to get onto podcasts. They've they've learned right. that oh, there's a great way to reach an, an audience that I haven't reached yet. Yeah, you know, which to- totally makes sense. You know, mm-hmm. so it, it teaches you to be selective and say, you know what, what do I really want? What am I really looking for? 
And what are my listeners looking for? What do they want to hear? And so, I, you know, I, I think I'm doing something right, but um, if you have any pointers, I'm always open to suggestions. <laughs> the fact that you've done over 200 episodes means you are doing something right. Guaranteed. <laughs> Well, let me go back to the very the beginning when I started. So the same woman who had the platform, she stopped doing it about like 2020. Really? 20, yeah. So she's only she only she has less than uh, I think a hundred episodes that she recorded. And I thought, isn't this crazy? Because I'm the one who didn't know anything. I was probably the least knowledgeable out of the few women you know that were doing the the platform with her, mm-hmm. and I'm the only one that's still standing. Wow. Yeah. But it doesn't actually surprise me. I'll tell you why. There's There are a few elements to your story that are very, very uh, consistent with the guests who come onto the show and co-hosts and so forth. Um, the consistency is that there's almost always a hit-bottom story followed mm-hmm. by a flying-afterwards story. Mm-hmm. True, true. You know, the, the, the rise of the phoenix, so to speak. And the people who experience that are the persistent ones. Mm-hmm. Now, your story, you've had, you've told two two or three stories so far that had that mm-hmm. theme to it. Mm-hmm. That demonstrates your persistence. You call it stubborn. I call it persistent. But mm-hmm. it's basically the same thing. I don't care what people call it. I just am glad I have it. Right, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Sure. It has served me well. And that, you know, that can actually lead me on to that story, that book, which is The Ninja, Okay. And because that's another one of those, you know, hit rock bottom, never coming back mm-hmm. type of thing. And, uh, and I did. And again, that's where the many magnificent men in my life come into play that, you know, if it weren't for them, I wouldn't be here right now. And I certainly wouldn't have all those nifty little tools behind me. Very cool. I like it though. That's very good. Yeah, uh, something else occurred to me too. Uh, we, you made reference a couple times to 2020, the year of the pandemic, and and I'm rem- remembering as you're talking about that. I remember the very first show that I did in 2020. I labeled it the year of clarity of perspective because 2020 in eyeglasses means you have what they call it's not really perfect vision. It, it's mm-hmm. acceptable good vision, uh, mm-hmm. but it's what we associate with you know clarity. Mm-hmm. And I said, that's what this whole year is going to be about. Little did I know that two or three months later, we were going to be in the middle of a pandemic. But that mm-hmm. pandemic did provide tremendous amounts of clarity mm-hmm. on a whole range of things. You talked about one of the ones that came up a lot. People who were afraid of technology, they realized they needed to use technology in order to stay in contact with people. They attained clarity about technology that they would not have otherwise attained. Mm-hmm. That's just one little example. There are so many things that came out of that year. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think, well, it made people either more resilient and more flexible in mm-hmm. their thinking and in their behaviors, or it did the opposite for some mm-hmm. people. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they were just kind of like froze and clammed up and mm-hmm. didn't know what to do. And for those of us who are truly survivors, and I, you know, and I'm talking about the, the spirit of surviving, you know, no matter what it takes. And that's kind of like the warrior spirit. Um, we were like, okay, let's figure this out. I, I, this isn't going to take me down, no matter how many times they tell me that on TV, mm-hmm. that, you know, there are things that I can do to protect myself and, and the people I care about. So, and and mm-hmm. well, I don't want to diminish or in any way play down what the trauma was for those people who did kind of clamp down. Right. Down. There was also clarity for them, too, because the clarity for them was, wow, I had no idea I had such a big weak spot here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And they had to face it. They had to deal with it in some way. Maybe they dealt with it poorly, but they still had to. They, they mm-hmm. couldn't evade it. They couldn't They couldn't get away from it. Mm-hmm. And, it, it, I mean, it, it reminds me of a quote that comes from the Ted Lasso TV series. The truth will set you free, but first it'll piss you off. <laughs> <laughs> that pretty much summarizes it, doesn't it? <laughs> that's, about, that's about right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 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 But you know what? I think for some people... And well, for me, especially if it pisses me off, I'm going to figure it out. Mm-hmm. If it doesn't piss me off, it's like, well, okay, I can manage. I'll live with it. But if it really piss, and if it royally pisses me off, you better stand back. Whew. Yeah. Ooh, about I'm the ninjas one here. of those little sweats going on. I, 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 all of a sudden, I think the ninja warrior came out there for a second. <laughs> yes, yeah, she did. She did. <laughs> 
cool. Very cool. I like that. So, okay. So you have the podcast. You got the two books out. I, I guess where I want to go with this next is since we're talking about personal empowerment, your story is about all the different ways you have not only helped empower others, but you've helped to empower yourself. Mm-hmm. I'm curious if, like, for instance, when you, when you thought about the whole thing about the podcast and people had been recommending that you consider it and you didn't know what a podcast was and all that kind of stuff, you had no reason at that point to do podcasting. But now as you look back on it, what has that actually done for you? Is that, because well, what I find is even when we have these disparate tools that we kind of acquire over a lifetime, we get to a point where all of a sudden we find that we're using them all in some ways that we didn't expect. And I'm wondering, mm-hmm. is that true for, say, the podcasting? You know, I, I have to say it really did empower me in a, a lot of ways. Number one, first of all, I, I, I mean, I am a speaker and I, you know, get up and talk in public and I always, we all do. We're all speakers, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, I had done a lot of public speaking, but not only that, I, I, you know, even during my careers, I would do a lot of teaching in services to staff members, um, you know, family members and different organizations. So I w- it, that was natural for me. Mm-hmm. But when it was like talking about myself, I would just freeze like a deer in the headlights. Mm-hmm. It, it was just like, I, I can't do this. I mean, this is just, oh, and even like, I can't interview somebody. That was just, you know, because I'd never done it before. But it's like, wait a minute. How many times have I had conversations with friends, conversations with strangers? You know, it's just the same thing. So it not only made me, forced me to learn technology, and not only did I learn it, people have said that I got really good at it. I think that's a little bit of a stretch. But I'm comfortable with it now. And I got um, out of my head and found my voice to be able to share with other people and then found my interviewing skills that just kind of came naturally or just having a conversation with a friend, basically. And so I got really comfortable with that. But the best thing, the best thing that I had no idea was going to happen was how many wonderful people that I have met that I never would have met before. To hear their stories and Mm -hmm. to have them share them on my platform. It's just such an honor. And now because of the pandemic and because I had to learn technology and, you know, how to do them remotely, I talk to people all over the United States, Canada, uh, New England, I mean, New Zealand, Australia, Germany, the UK. I mean, I talked to people, Ireland, all over the world. And it was like, wow, this is incredible. Yeah. I know exactly what you mean. You're, what you're talking you about is one of my favorite things, perspectives. You gain mm-hmm. all of these perspectives, and you learn so much from all of these perspectives, even the ones you don't like. I, I like to emphasize that part. I yes. have learned more from the ones I didn't like than from the ones I did like. Right. right. Not that I didn't and, like the ones that I did like. I like them a lot, but still. <laughs> and this is really crazy. It's going to sound nuts, but I almost sometimes feel selfish Mm-hmm. That it's like, you know, it's like, oh, am I doing this just for me because I'm learning so much and I'm really having a good time with the guests. But then we go into the post-production and all that stuff and all the work. And it's like, no, I'm not just doing it for me. I am doing it you know, for as a purpose. But, uh, yeah, and I just shake my head going, wow, it's so empowering to hear those stories of empowerment from other people. And that's why I keep doing it. I just, it's almost like this energy just keeps building, building, building. And when people share their stories, I really believe we can make the world a better place. I think so too. Yeah. And by the way, on the topic of selfishness, I, I just wanted to put in there that I, even if it was totally selfish, which is often poo-pooed, I think actually it's a very good thing, but I won't go, go down that route right now. I just want to point out that I started doing this podcast totally selfishly. People already know the the story who who listened to the podcast because I was, you know, broke. We were deep in debt. Didn't know how to get out of it. Didn't really understand law of attraction. So I said, I'll do a free podcast. I'll get like a free guest. I get free training and all this other great stuff. It was for me. The shock was when I found out I had listeners. Like, where the heck, where did they come from? (laughs) (laughs) So even in that selfish moment, the selfishness still helped other people. Right. So I, I, I personally think that we should take the word only out of any sentence where we use the word selfish. It's only selfish. Mm. No, no, selfish is a good thing. It's not a bad thing. It's mm-hmm. not something to be, you know, embarrassed about. It's something to be proud about. Yeah, selfish is great. If you had not been selfish, 
you wouldn't have been able to meet all of those people, share their stories, make all of these great connections. Selfishness pays off. Selfishness is, 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 what, what people, here's the thing. People, when they, when they hurl the word selfish at somebody, what they're really saying is not the selfish. It sounds like they are, but that's really not what they're saying. What they're really saying is, you should feel guilty for not doing what I, I want you to do. Ah, uh, mm-hmm. yeah. Or you're you so should selfish. Oh. Or you should feel selfish. You should be. You're, you should feel selfish because you're doing what you want to do, and you're enjoying it. Oh yeah, heaven forbid that. And it really draw the line at. Don't you be successful at it? Oh God, no. That just that, kind of rubs like, salt into the wound, right? That, that, that's the worst part, you know, being successful at being selfish. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I actually invented a word one time that I wanted to use. I, I wanted to make it popular to replace the way the word selfish was used. The word was other blind. Because that's what people were really saying. Well, you're blind to the needs of others. Oh. But then I realized, I, and I actually did try to promote that for a while. And then I, it, fortunately, it didn't catch on. And I'm glad it didn't because what I realized is, it was still promoting trying to control somebody else. Mm-hmm. Mm. And that's the whole, that's, that, that is entirely the problem. That's the opposite of what you want. Yes, yeah, it's, it's the opposite of what I want. But it's also, it's really the opposite of what the theoretical blame about selfish is all about. Mm-hmm. Think about it. That, I mean, what, what they're actually trying to promote, which, by the way, mm-hmm. like you pointed out, Cheryl, does kind of vary from one person to the next. They all seem mm-hmm. to have their own meanings to it. But when you boil it all down, what it basically says is you're not you're forgetting to treat other people as victims. Instead, you're, you're, you're thinking only about yourself. What's wrong with mm-hmm. you? Like, oh, <laughs> that's quite a statement. <laughs> that was pretty profound. It, well, yeah, I guess it is profound. It, it, I think what it is is shocking. Would you say mm-hmm. it that baldly, that, you know, that boldly, because, mm-hmm. you know, we, we don't, we're not supposed to say it that way in polite society, right? Right. Mm-hmm. It kind of takes all the power away from, from you know, the, the accusation. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my. Okay, enough of that rant. <laughs> but that's what I think about when I think about the word mm. selfish. <laughs> so you're doing the, the uh, podcast for like four four years, I think it is now. Mm-hmm. And I'm curious to know if you are, did you, have you reached a point like I did, like with, with LOA today, the first, I think like the first 400 episodes or so, we were just covering every single aspect of the law of attraction we could possibly cover. We were doing law of attraction book discussions. We were just I, like anything you could possibly do. And after a while, I realized we got this covered. You know, if you can't get it done in 400 episodes for that topic, which is all about one idea, you know, you attract mm-hmm. to your life what you give your attention to. Well, you aren't doing anything. <laughs> you aren't, you haven't been doing your job. You know, so after the first 400, then it was, well, what do I want to do next with this? Cause I'm liking this so much. I mean, I was mm-hmm. totally addicted to it. And so I made a shift in my thinking. I said, well, I want to expand it to all of life because law of attraction applies to all of life. I'm curious to know, have you had a similar moment with the feminine project? In other words, have you have you gotten to the point where you feel like you've covered what you wanted to do, or do you feel like you're still covering it? I feel like I'm still covering it because okay. um, there are so many stories out there and so many different people. Um, I will have to say that I did get kind of bombarded with requests from like certain like life coaches, mm-hmm. and oh, it's yeah. like, okay, all right, you know, I, I get it, you know, the this is good, but now I just need to expand a little bit more. Um, but I just, I would just kind of look and search and I have different, I, I, I use Podmatch to be, you know, that's one platform I use to look for guests. That's how we connect. And it's just, you know, and then I, and a lot of times they just find me mm-hmm. and, you know, most of the people that contact me are, are a pretty good fit. Um, but I, as long as it's something that's has a story of empowerment in it mm-hmm. and has tools, advice, tips or even stories within their story that can help empower my listeners, then I'm all for it. So I haven't gotten to that point, but I haven't gotten to 400 episodes yet. So I do think about that. So thank you for bringing it up. Yeah. So I do think about that of, you know, am I ever going to, is the well going to run dry on this topic? Um, but I think because of the Femininja is always, it's based on the principles of the martial art that I study. Mm-hmm. 
and the characteristics of the warrior spirit and the warrior itself, I, I, I'll know when it's time to make a little deviation or to either, you know, I'll know. So, so actually that brings up a good point. What are those characteristics? We, let's bring that out. I mean, oh, that, that's, that's a big part of what you're doing. Tell us what that is for you. That's good. Thank you for asking. When people hear the word warrior, what do they think of or what do you think of? Uh, well, I, I have a couple things to think about, not the least of which is, is um, one of my names actually means warrior. So I have to, you know, I, I kind of have a, 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 I don't know what you call that. I, I have a mirror, let's put it that way, okay. that, that kind of reflects back to me. Uh, but I also, for myself, I've been actually told that I'm a warrior, like, like, uh, like I'm a word warrior. And I cringe at it because for mm-hmm. me, the word warrior is directly associated with war, with actual mm-hmm. war. And, and mm-hmm. I don't want to be a killer. You know, mm-hmm. so, so that's the association I have. But there are many people I've interviewed, people I've gotten to know, who consider warrior to be about going after it, going after what you want. And I get it. I get where they're coming from. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I think it depends who you're asking. That, perfect. And that's basically a lot of people, when they hear the word warrior, they don't want to hear that because they think of fighting, aggression, mm-hmm. conflict, warfare, violence. And that is so far from the truth of what the true spirit of a warrior is, at least in our art, um, the warrior has a compassionate heart. Mm-hmm. The warrior loves peace, harmony, does not want to fight. It has nothing to do with fighting. We want to take care of ourselves, our families, our communities, our environment. You know, we actually step up and help others who cannot protect themselves or help themselves. It's a very loving uh, kind, giving um, spirit of generosity that we wow. have as warriors, at least mm-hmm. in the art that I study. Wow. But don't cross the line. But don't cross the line. <laughs> if Alex gives me, you know, the boundary and I try and step over it, and Alex will say, no, you know, let's not do this. And I try again. i push, you know, poke the bear. And she's like, no, we're not going to do this. So, you know, I, let's just walk away. Or she does it a third time. It's like, I tried to tell you not to do it. And I'm not talking necessarily only about physical conflict or physical confrontation because attacks come in all shapes, sizes, forms, physical, mental, emotional, psychological, financial, you know, illnesses. I mean, the hits just keep coming because life is full of hits. So Mm -hmm. the spirit of the warrior helps you, um, what's the word, accept that they're coming. So you don't resist. Okay, 2020, you know, we're all locked in, all locked down. You have a choice, go with the flow, find a way around it, how to thrive through it. So what they teach us as brand new martial arts students um, is to evade. You evade an attack. Mm. If you're not in the way, you can't get hurt. And this applies not only to physical, but to the mental, the emotional, the, you know, confrontational. Uh, you just get out of the way. And the person who's doing the quote unquote attacking all of that energy just goes flies by you and bounces back into them, which was something I always had a hard time understanding until I got to the dojo and it was like, took a while, took a while. And then it was like, okay, I get it now. Yeah. Really good. Uh, Alex, mm-hmm. based on that definition, do you feel like you're a warrior? For sure. Hands down. Yeah. Hands down. Even before you heard before. that? Spoke oh yeah. That? Before I heard it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But, uh, I'm also a blue belt in Kempo. So, oh. yeah, Finn had that warrior spirit. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, and that's it when you're studying a martial art. or you know, mm-hmm. I mean, This is the only one I have studied. But mm-hmm. my father actually had a black belt in um, karate. Mm-hmm. And he always tried to get me and my sisters to go work out with him to learn a few things. It's like, ew, icky, icky, ew. I'm not going to do martial <laughs> arts, ew. You know, but they, they have the same philosophy. I even have, well, I have his black belt, and I even have hit some of his notes. Mm-hmm. Which to me was really like, you know, I have to be perfectly honest. I didn't start training willingly. That's why the reluctant ninja came. That's the title of the book. Uh, I had to be literally dragged onto the mat, kicking and screaming and not in a good way. Wow. But once I started to get into it, the philosophy, I think in a lot of the arts are the same as, you know, you're not, 
You don't want to fight, but you sure do want to protect yourself. Mm-hmm. You yeah. don't want to initiate a fight, but if somebody's picking on your kid, you're going to step in. Mm-hmm. Or if you see somebody who is yeah. unable to protect themselves, you can step in and do that. And I even did that, um, like, energetically speaking, when I had either friends or people I know that were going through a hard time, the next, I says, okay, next time I go to the dojo, this one's for you. And like I had uh, a woman who owned this, these, these cabins up in the mountains that we used to rent, she and her husband. And we loved these people. We rent from them all the time, but she was going through breast cancer and, you know, she was in remission and then she had an exacerbation and she had a really good attitude about it. And, you know, when she told us, I said, you know what? When I go back to the dojo, I said, I'm going to just, every hit, every punch, every kick, every takedown, everything is going to be for you, beating mm. that cancer. Mm-hmm. Mm. Wow. Yeah, really good. So, yeah, it's the spirit of a warrior. We want peace, harmony, love, you know, but don't push it. <laughs> You're kind of reminding me, one of my uh, Monday co-hosts named Louis D'Souza, um, is a black belt in karate, I think. I can't remember which discipline it is. Uh, but he tells the story. He's told this story a few times how, uh, he was out at a, a mall. He lives in the UK, um, near London. He was at, at, at a mall, a shopping center and, uh, a, a group of, of young thugs tried to mug him. And he tells the story about how the security guards saw what was going, walked away. I don't have anything to do with this. And there were a couple of girls who were watching. Oh my God, this guy's getting mugged. And Louis just, with, with his discipline, just like blanked out all of the fear, all of the, the, the concern that you would normally have. He, uh, turned his body into a shield so that when they tried to punch him, the punch didn't get through and so forth. And he's literally walking along while they're trying to attack him. And he said, <laughs> the thought that kept going through his head was, how can I keep from killing them? <laughs> <laughs> Which that's awesome. I love that. that. <laughs> I love that. But that's what I was thinking about when you were telling your story. <laughs> that's cool, though. That's good. I, I, I have heard similar descriptions, but I like that one. I like the way you mm-hmm. described what your mm-hmm. view of a warrior is. Did, well, it, and when you have that 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 essence about you or that aura or whatever, um, people look at you differently. Hmm. You know, when you walk, even the way you walk in a grocery store, the way you carry yourself, it makes a big difference. Mm-hmm. Right? Confidence is what comes through, I think. Absolutely. Yeah. Confidence and awareness. Mm-hmm. Why awareness? I think you're probably right, but I'm curious to know why awareness. Because you are taking in your environment. And that's one of the biggest things, and Alex is agreeing with me (laughs) one of the things and it drives me crazy watching women walk around in public with their face in their phone they have no idea what's going on around them but and you know who's watching them but if you walk into a crowded room and you're looking at people and you're making that eye contact and you're aware of okay where are the exits oh i'm getting a bad vibe from that guy i'm just going to move right you know that kind of self-awareness um, of uh, environmental awareness, situational awareness, um, internal awareness is absolutely crucial. And you learn that a lot in your training, right, Alex? Yep, definitely do. Mm-hmm. Which makes total sense. You're on, on guard to make sure mm-hmm. that you're not about to be attacked. Mm-hmm. And even, you know, when you say on guard, we're kind of always on guard, but we're not uh, like hypervigilant. We're just aware. Mm-hmm. Which is much better because you really don't want to attract anything. No, you don't want you don't want that, to get that thought process going that starts making stuff like that happen. Mm-hmm. But you, but you can still be aware, and that mm-hmm. awareness is still going to serve you. You just have you don't get worked up about it. Is all right? Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah, it's really good. I like that. Okay, so we we heard heard about the books. We heard about the podcast. Um, you also have a website. What what goes on on your website? 
Well, yeah, I've got a lot going on. I have two websites. I have the Femininja Project, so I have one website um, specifically just for, you know, the podcast, which is totally awesome because it has a picture of, the, of this tiger at the very top of the, you know, homepage, which is, I love that little kitty. I mean, I, I saw that picture. I was like, we have got to figure out how to get this tiger. <laughs> and and we even managed to, my my designer got the tiger on the back of the book cover for the ninja. So uh, I have that's where I have all my podcasts. Uh, episodes and, you know, a few other things. I've done a few blog posts, but not much because I've been kind of busy lately. So then the other one is Cheryl I Love, just CherylILove.com, and that's, you know, my basic business one. Um, I don't have a physical office anymore. Like I said, I did close it, but I re-launched um, my podcast or my my services online. So now I do work with people online, um, which is amazing. I was like, how does this really work? But it was another one of those head-smacking moments. I was down here in my girl cave during the pandemic, and I was doing what I call basement ballet. So I was doing online <laughs> ballet classes. And it was after – and you think it wasn't the same, of course, but it was sure. highly effective. Mm-hmm. And it was even fun. And it was one time I was logging off, and it was like, oh, my gosh, I could work with people online. <laughs> so I just started doing that. And so I have a few clients online. And I'm also teaching um, at a local dance studio somatic movement, which is what I really um, specialize in. So I'm not a traditional PT where you're doing, you know, traditional exercises or stretches because I know how I felt about them myself. So it's yes. more like movement exploration. And I'm, I am certified in something called Feldenkrais, which is a movement modality that is just incredible. It just really takes you into your nervous system. So we work more on from skeletal movement rather than muscular strength. And magic happens when you do that. Why do you think the magic happens? What's that? Why do you think the magic happens? Why do I think it happens? Because you're tapping into your nervous system. You're interrupting... Um, habits and patterns that you've had for years and years and years, but you're doing it in a gentle way that is non-threatening, non-judgmental, and you're doing it through movement. And it is just so incredibly powerful because excess muscle tension just melts away. You start walking taller, moving more easily. I remember when I was going through my training and I went to ballet class. I was probably, you know, it's a four-year training program. It's pretty brutal, but, boy, mm-hmm. it was worth it. Mm-hmm. And I was in a ballet class, and they hadn't seen me for a couple of weeks because I'd been gone for a Feldenkrais training. And when I came back, one of the dancers that I've known for a long time came up to me, and she says, if your legs get any longer, we're <laughs> going to have to raise the ceiling. And it was like, <laughs> oh. A choir of angels began to sing. I don't care how much I'm paying for this training. If that's all I get out of it, yay. But, uh, you know, I used to tell people that Feldenkrais actually, you know, it it lengthened my spine. It loosened my hips. It opened my heart. And it made everything so much easier. Wow. How did we not end up talking about this, like, for the vast majority of the show? I don't know, but we didn't even talk about how I got into martial arts in the first place. And no. my goodness, you need to buckle up for that story because it's a wild one. Okay, so we got like three minutes left. Which one can we get a piece of? <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's get a piece of. Which one would you like a piece of? Oh, let's do the martial arts story. Okay, so um, I was 44, and I met a man. He was an acupuncturist. I walked into his office for the very first time. And when he started putting needles in my legs, dancer's legs, he got a faraway look on his face and he said, you know, with your legs and my coaching, I could teach you how to kill with these things. I'm lying That's an interesting, come on. (laughs) That's a lot of men say, come online. That's what it is. And it really, I don't think it was. I'm laying there on the table going, Who thinks like this, let alone says it out loud, right? And then my next thought was, where's my purse? Because I'm going to grab my purse and run. Mm -hmm. Oh, I'm literally pinned to the table. Mm -hmm. Unless I want to get up and try running out with needles sticking out all over me. You know, the man had a captive audience. Yeah. Yeah. The man also had a martial arts school right next to his acupuncture clinic. Hmm. 
So that's just a little tip of the iceberg. And I thanked him for thinking of me. And he said, really, I'd love to have you. You'd love the training. You'd love this. And, you know, it's blah, blah, blah. And he'd go on and on about the art of the ninja. And I just wanted him to shut up, leave the room, let the needles do their work. And I kept going back to him. But I thought he was crazy, especially when he started talking about how everything is a weapon. Mm-hmm. And that's a whole other story. But I just kept going. So you know what I'm talking about, Alex. You know yeah. my language. <laughs> and it was, it took three years. It, they call me stubborn. It took him three long years. And I finally said, full disclosure, I had a really bad trauma right before I met him and I never mm. told him about it. Wow. And it came spewing out of me about a year later as a trauma always does. Mm-hmm. And you know, then his campaign to get me on the mat went into high gear. I kept saying no. And finally it took three long years. And finally I said, okay, he wore me down. I couldn't fight anymore. I had nothing mm-hmm. left. And I said, okay, I will take a few classes just to prove to you how much I am going to hate it. And then I'll quit. Wow. 10 years later, I became his first female black belt. Wow. Since that time, in 20 years of training, of teaching, he never had a, fem- a female get that high of a rank. And to this day, only one other woman has done it. And she's 30 years younger than me. Wow. wow. Congratulations. Thank you. So there's yeah. a whole lot to that story. Um, yeah. yeah. Uh, not the least of which is he really needs to learn a new marketing method. But beside that, <laughs> but beside that part, I mean, wow, yeah, that that's pretty impressive. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah, I'm, on, marketing's... I'm on to it. He's putting out the weak ones. That's what he's doing. Oh yeah, sure. Yeah, you know, it's it's really funny because people will even say to me to this day, "Oh, he saw something in you. He knew you were going to be the one. He knew that you were going to be his first female black belt." And I would laugh so hard I would almost pee my pants because mm-hmm. I thought, "No, I'm the least person in the world. I'm a ballet dancer. I'm a prissy little thing. I don't do stuff like that." And you know, I think he surprised. He was just as surprised as I was when um, I got I to it. a certain level that was like, "Oh my God, I might actually get it." I believe that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, and we're still great friends. I still train with him three times a week. And I give you a lot of credit for that too. That's, that's not easy to turn a relationship. That, that was a relationship that could very easily have gone bad and you found a way to turn it anyway. That, that to me, that shows me more strength than actually taking the martial art class. Well, if you read the book and you hear some of the stories, it's amazing how the relationship changed and shifted and changed and shifted and changed and shifted. Mm-hmm. And that was, it, I mean, it, it, it's amazing that we still love each other. Let's put it to you that way. I believe that, I believe that completely. Yeah. No, no doubt in my mind whatsoever. Hey, this has been really, really interesting. Really great getting to know you, Cheryl. Well, and thank uh, you. Uh, first, one thing I got to do, I, I got to ask you, there's two things I have to ask you. First, for somebody who wants to reach out, maybe they're interested in uh, what you were offering on your website, you know, the vitality and energy and all that kind of mm-hmm. stuff. Maybe they're interested in pursuing that. How do they find you? How do they reach out and, and contact you? Um, you can just go to my website, CherylIlove.com. If you do that and you sign up for my newsletter, you have access to three um, pre-recorded audio um, recordings of, I call them meditation through movement. They're basically mini Feldenkrais lessons, but nobody knows what Feldenkrais is. Now that they have a little bit of a hint, it is just uh, mindful movement, and they're very relaxing. Uh, so you could do that and then just unsubscribe from the newsletter. You can just email me. You can email me info at CherylILove.com. You can find me on on pretty much all social media. I'm pretty active on LinkedIn. You can find me there. But if you can't find me, you're not looking. I believe that as well. Yeah. So, uh, well, Alex, i got to ask you something here. Mm -hmm. You heard Cheryl's story. You actually uh, participated a little bit in in expressing your side of, of what you're hearing as you're hearing those stories. But yep. what is the one thing that I think grabbed your attention the most? I'm, I'm kind of guessing in my mind, but I'm kind of curious what your answer is. As you were listening to what Cheryl was ta- saying for the last hour, what grabbed your attention the most? Ooh, there was a couple of things. Uh, first of all, she's really good at titling her book because I'm intrigued. Good. Um, the Reluctant Ninja definitely got me. Um, also, Women Empowerment. And what was the third one? I think the whole, the whole concept of, of Warrior. That was a pretty cool definition, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, definitely was. Good. Um, one other thing I wanted to tell you or ask you about and tell you about, Cheryl, is um, you've been doing a podcast for a while. You got your books out. 
you appear on other people's podcasts. Um, you do a, a lot of things where you're reaching out and you're talking to audiences like most of us do who are doing this kind of thing. Many of whom you'll never see them. You'll never meet them. You know, they're taking stuff away that's valuable. Alice just identified some things that was valuable to her. Um, but they're taking stuff like that. You're helping them in ways that you'll never see and you'll never hear about. And I'm making it a, a project now. I want to include you in my project. I want to thank you on their behalf, on behalf of all those people you've been able to help so far and who you're helping going forward. Because you deserve that those thanks. So thank you for what you do for those people you'll, you'll never meet and you'll never see. Oh, thank you for saying that. And uh, you're very welcome. And those people are very welcome as well. You know, I just, I really believe that there is the spirit of a warrior in each and every one of us, and it means different things to different people, but if you can find that little space in you, that inner strength, and just find a way to help bring it out, you know, I think you'll live a much happier life. Words of wisdom to end the show on. So thank you, Cheryl, Cheryl Isla, very much. Thank you, Alex, as usual. You were the usual Alex Standy, which we love so much. <laughs> Thank you to our podcast listeners everywhere. We'll see you all next time here on LOA Today. Goodbye, everybody.